Take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn to uh, John, John chapter 14. Definitely a scripture that uh, we have uh, heard uh, many times. John 14, uh, we are going to uh, read uh, the first uh, six verses uh, of that uh, chapter. And uh, hopefully uh, I can get off this morning and uh, we, can, uh, we can move forward in a very rapid manner because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you for being in the house of the Lord today. Uh, for those of you that are saved, that are a child of God, that is bound to the land uh, that we hold in our destiny, I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you today, if uh, you're here and you're down about something, or if you've got something uh, in your life that's troubling you, I want to be an encouragement uh, to you. Uh, and so uh, we are going to just simply talk uh, on the subject of heaven. I'm reminded about this uh, the Sunday school teacher. He was uh, telling the class of the second grade boys about the wonders of heaven. And he was telling them about the wonders of heaven, and they listened with uh, uh, an extreme amount of attention. And as he described the details of the final chapters uh, of the Bible, uh, when he finished, he turned to the class and asked, uh, uh, how many of you all want to go to heaven? And every hand except for one boy uh, little Bobby just sat there. So he asked the class, I mean, I mean, are y'all ready to go to heaven? So this one little boy uh, didn't raise his hand. The teacher assumed Bobby hadn't really heard the question, so he asked again, how many of you all want to go to heaven? Again, every single hand went up except for little Bobby's. So the teacher asked directly, Bobby, you want to go to heaven when you die, don't you? Of course, Bobby replied, but I thought you were getting up a load right now. He said, I missed the bus home last week, and my dad said, I better get home right away or I'll be grounded. Um, you know, um, that's the way it is with a lot of us. I'm always reminded of, of the great uh, classic Wizard of Oz when I speak about heaven, because it's in there that Dorothy makes a very good point. She, all of us can remember in the Wizard of Oz, and it's, it's, it is a classic but Dorothy and her lovable sidekick, Toto, they, they're swept away by a tornado. And as they're swept away, the, the wind uh, places them in a place called Oz. And in this place called Oz, Dorothy and Toto go through a lot of different stuff. They go through some unusual things. And they wind up meeting up with some unusual people. They meet up with people like the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion. And they all had issues. Everybody has issues. I mean, even in this classic or even those of us that are sitting here today, they all had problems. Even those in this story and even those of us that are sitting here today, they all had some strongholds, even those in this classic and those of us that are sitting here today. And they needed them to be broken. And so they meet up with Dorothy and they all strike out for this place called Oz looking for this wizard who would somehow change their situations. That would somehow change their problems. That would somehow answer their questions. And while traveling down the yellow brick road, all of them come to discover to their dismay that Oz, including the wizard, was not as they appeared to be. So to her dismay and her disappointment, she concludes at the end of that movie that there's no place like home. And she jumps up, clicks her heels and says, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Now today, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. But when I look at all that's happening in America, 
When I look at all that's happening in our states, when I look at all that's happening in our nations, when I look at all that's happening in our churches, I'm convinced that we are living in a troubled nation. I'm convinced that we are living in a troubled society. If it's not one thing, it seems to be a million. If it's not one crisis, it's another crisis. If it's not an economic crisis, it's a social crisis. If it's not a social crisis, it's a crime crisis. If it's not a crime crisis, it's a political crisis. If it's not a political crisis, it's a, it's a moral crisis. And then even sitting in here this room this morning, we've done the best we could to be able to be on the day, to be able to get to the house of God. But sitting here in this room and those that are watched by YouTube, we, we, we even as Christians, we're, we're dealing with things of our own. We're, we're dealing with trials and sickness. We're dealing with cancers and Alzheimer's. We're dealing with heartaches and pain and marital problems and family drama, bankruptcies and foreclosures, lives and deaths. The list could go on and on. And don't get me wrong, I'm excited to be alive today. Anybody here excited to be alive? You know, oftentimes I, I, think about, uh, I think about my childhood home. And every time I go there, I've told you all on many occasions, I, I think about that ballpark where I knocked a grand slam at. I think about that eighth grade graduation, or uh, I think about that kindergarten class that I went to uh, in my elementary school. I think about my old friends and some of my old family. I think about mom and dad's uh, graveside there. And sometimes I, 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 I think about my home in, in Kentucky. And then other times, you know, I can think about my home over there in Winter Haven. And sometimes we can even dream of, of a greater home here upon this planet. Some of us can think about what it would be like to live in Hawaii. Can I get amen? But this morning, I'm not talking about that kind of home. I'm talking about a better place. I'm talking about an eternal place. I'm talking about our final resting place. I'm talking about a place that's not made with hands. I'm talking about a place called heaven. A place called heaven. And this morning, in the midst of all the things that surround our lives on a daily basis, we come to this story where Jesus is addressing his disciples and he gives them a very interesting command. So John 14, we'll begin reading at verse 1, let's stand in honor of God's word. This is the inspired word of God. In this, this word is the power to change lives. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Oftentimes, I don't pause when I'm reading the scripture, but I believe if we would have put this verse into the context, I believe that Jesus would say to some of us, some of us today that have lost some spouses, 
Some of us today that have lost some children, some of us today that have lost some grandparents, some of us today that are dealing with some cancers and some sicknesses and some sort of disorders, or some of us that don't have the money that we used to have, or some of us that are facing some marital issues, I I believe that Jesus would say, let not your heart be troubled. As a matter of fact, some of us today, we're going to go home and we're going to see something on TV about some bombers in the Middle East. And I, I believe that Jesus would say to us, let not your heart be troubled. Probably this week sometime, we're going to see something new and crazy come out that is a contradiction to God's word. And I believe that Jesus would say, let not your heart be troubled. Probably sometime this week, sometime we're going to go to a doctor or we're going to wind up in a place and we're going to get some bad news. But I believe that Jesus would say to us, let not your heart be troubled. Some of us have got some sons and daughter prodigals. I believe that Jesus would say to the parents, let not your heart be troubled. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest and how Can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. No man cometh to me except by way of the Father. Think about that. That he's the way, he's the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to him. Except by the way of a son Jesus that gets to the Father. Everybody say, let not your heart be troubled. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we thank you for your command. We thank you for your promise. And Lord, none of us have showed up here today to hear a sermon Lord, we've done heard so many sermons that our lives would have been changed a long time ago. But Lord, today we showed up to hear, not to hear words about you, but Lord, a word from you. Lord, I pray that I decrease so that you could increase. I pray, Lord, today that you will encourage every single person that's in this room. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Everybody say, let not your heart be troubled. Everybody say, let not your heart be troubled. You know, the Bible is filled with a lot of commands from God. And some of the commands that God gives us tells us what we should do or what we shouldn't do in order to be successful in life. Now stick with me for a few moments. The Bible is filled with a lot of commands. And in some of these commands, it, it tells us what we should do or what we shouldn't do. In Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. If you want to have a blessed life, you have to watch who it is you walk with, who it is you stand with, and who it is that you sit with. That, that, that's a command. 
In Psalms 37, it says, fret not thyself against evildoers. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, judge not. That's a command. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on this earth. In other words, he's saying, hey, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. In Matthew chapter 10 and 28, Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the body and the soul. In Matthew 19 and 6, it says, what therefore God had joined together, let no man put asunder. In 1 Chronicles 16 and 22, the Bible says, touch not thy anointing. And there are a lot of commands in the Bible where God tells us what we should not do. And then there are other commands that he tells us what it is that we should do. But one of the greatest commands, I believe, is found here in John Gospel, chapter 14, where he says, let not your heart be troubled. He begins the 14th chapter out in the first verse, in the first few words, he says, let not your heart be troubled. The 14th chapter of John is probably one of the most unusual passages in the Bible because it's a band-aid for the wounded soul. It's carpet for those that don't have anything to walk on. It's a well for the thirsty traveler. I mean, in St. John here, this Word has been read probably beside more dying bedsides than perhaps any other words within the scripture. People have quoted these words at funerals. They have quoted this verse to those that are depressed. They have quoted this verse to those that are in the hospital and to those that are sick. And so this morning we, we take a peek at this verse with the mindset of Christ because The audience he's talking to here, I I believe he's talking to us, but specifically in the text, he's talking to the disciples. And Jesus is on his way to the cross. He is getting ready to die. Now, I can think of no moment in our lives that we will ever experience where we will make a bigger speech than in the moments right before our death. And so Jesus is on his way to Golgotha. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus knows how awful this experience is going to be. He knows how tough it's going to be. He knows he's going to be rejected by the people. He knows he's going to be abused. He knows he's going to be spit on. But he also knows the good things. He knows that he is fulfilling uh, the promises. He knows that he is doing the Lord's will. He knows all those things. But, but he has taken time to tell his disciples in his goodbye speech, he is telling them, hey, I know this looks bad. I know in this world that you've got all of these troubles. But he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. You know what, friends? We could almost go home just on that today if we would believe that and do that. Because I believe today that Jesus would tell us, I believe that he would tell all Christians that are thinking this world is going to hell in a handbasket and at times it certainly looks like it is. He would tell all Christians that are experiencing a hopeless situation 
He would tell all Christians that need an answer to their problems. He would tell all Christians that are fretting or fearing death. He, he would tell all Christians that are facing some sort of situation, trial, or tribulation. I believe that Jesus would say to you on a very personal note, He would say, let not your heart be troubled. Now, it's interesting that He's trying to give them some comfort. And why did Jesus say, let not your heart? He said, your heart be troubled. Because I believe he said it because we understand that the heart is the centrality of our emotions. The heart is the foundation of our personhood. The heart tells us about our real and true character. Because it's what's in your heart that matters. And we've dealt with the heart before. We, we've spoken about some of these hearts. The Bible talks about a lot of hearts. It talks about a fainting heart. It talks about a foolish heart, a, a willing heart, a proud heart. It talks about pure hearts and discouraged hearts. It talks about set hearts and astonished hearts and, and hard hearts and fearful hearts and rebellious hearts and understanding hearts, new hearts, broken hearts, clean hearts, sound hearts, heavy hearts. I mean, the heart is important because it's your heart that counts. And some of us today, the problems that we face, it's not... Because it's not a problem. A lot of us have a lot of things from without that are truly problems. But while Jesus is dealing with the heart, he, see, he's saying you've got to deal with what's inside so you can be able to face what it is that's outside. He's saying the heart is what it is that really matters. If you want to get a man right, you've got to get his heart right. And so he looks at the heart. And sometimes the reason why we can't get over some things in the past and, and the reason why we live our lives with worries and, and fears and, and, and all sorts of things is, generally speaking, it's not because those things that aren't in front of us aren't real, but it's because there's something wrong with our heart. Maybe we've been rejected or maybe we've listened to the doctor too much that's over at the Watson Clinic and we need to listen more to the great physician that is above every doctor. Maybe we've been listening to much to the politicians and the government and not enough to the king of kings and the lord of lords that is in charge of all the government see sometimes we got to understand that what jesus is dealing with he is trying to deal with the heart because if you face this world and you got a messed up heart you'll have a messed up life there's a lot of people that can't get over and can't get through some things it's because somehow the devil has put those things upon their heart and they can't seem to make it through. You see what Jesus is saying here and keep in mind here that he is, he's going to his death upon the cross. He is also alluding to eternity. He's saying that, Hey, what you're dealing with here is just simply temporary. That my death is just simply going to be temporary. My, my cross experience is just simply going to be temporary. But what I'm trying to tell you is let not your heart be troubled. So this morning, I want us to just kind of grab some advice from Jesus. And I want to point out some things that I believe that we can be comforted by when we look at the subject of heaven. First of all, it's interesting in verse 3, it says that where I am, there you're going to be also. 
Think about that. Where Jesus is, we're going to get to be in his presence. Heaven is going to mean the presence of Christ. And what is it that can cure a troubled heart? It's in those first few verses right behind. Let not your heart be troubled. It says to believe. It says to believe. It says to believe in God. That's the cure. If there's trouble all around you, if you're mentally confused, sociologically unbalanced, sociologically, uh, can't even put it out, but logically, uh, having bad health, if you got some sort of social problem with friends, if you're in a bad situation that's making you sad, if you find yourself broke, you can be rich. If you find yourself looking it down, you can look at the upside because of Jesus, because you can believe in God. It is simply says, believe in God. Listen, we, we trust God for a lot of things here on this earth. We trust God for a lot of things in our life. But think about it. Heaven is going to mean that, that you and I are going to be in the presence of Almighty God. You know, we sung that song, there's joy in the house of the Lord. I mean, the Bible says that in his presence is the fullness. Listen, we need to understand today that there's something about being in the presence of God. And one of these days, every single one of us that is a child of God, that has bowed a knee and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Our sins have been forgiven. We are bound to a place that one of these days is going to put us in the presence of Almighty God. The Word of God says to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. My God owns the land on both sides of the river, and I don't have to let my heart be troubled because one of these days I am simply going to pass from this side to the other side. And God owns the acreage on both sides. He owns the acreage on both sides, but I'm going to tell you that other side is certainly a lot better than this side. Listen, think about it, friends. There's nobody like Jesus. When you look at Jesus, the light of heaven is going to be the face of Jesus the joy of heaven is going to be the presence, the presence, the presence of Jesus. The song of heaven is going to be the name of Jesus. The theme of heaven is going to be the work of Jesus. The employment of heaven is going to be the praise of Jesus. The fullness of heaven is going to be the person of Jesus himself. You see, we're going to be able to serve without exhaustion. We're going to be able to fellowship without fear. We're going to be able uh, to simply learn without fatigue. We're going to be able to rest without boredom. I mean, one of these days when we come into the presence of Almighty God, all the things that we experienced here upon this earth are all going to be changed. And we're going to get to be in his presence. And he's telling his disciples in his goodbye speech, he's saying, hey, you're going to see me again. That where I am, there you're going to be able to be also. And that I don't want your heart to be troubled. Don't, don't, don't let the devil defeat you. Don't, don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't get tied to all these things that the world wants to tie you to. That one of these days that where I am, you're going to be also. So we see the presence. But the presence also lets us know that this place is a promised place. In verse 2, it tells us that there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Unfortunately, we're living in a day in a society where a lot of people, sometimes they don't keep their promises. 
But Jesus always keeps his promises. Always had a saying that if an elephant, if Jesus tells you an elephant's going to lay an egg, then you better go get a skillet because, man, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's just simply going to happen. But listen, when you move from his presence to his promise, the Bible uses a lot of different words to describe heaven. In one place, it's called a country, indicating the vastness, the vastness of heaven. In another place, it's called a city, indicating a large number of inhabitants. In another place, it's called a kingdom, indicating that there is some sort of governmental structure to it all. It's called paradise, uh, indicating beauty or desirability. But here, Jesus calls it my father's house. He says it's going to be my father's house. In my father's house, in, in my father's house are many mansions. In other words, you could take that and kind of equate that to home. Kind of like Dorothy was talking about that home. You know, home is where you're going to be loved and where you're going to be accepted. Home is where you can kind of kick the shoes off, let the clothes down. Home is where you can get to feel a little relaxed. You see, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back for you. You know, today we need to understand that when it comes to the promises of God, friends, and I believe that what he was trying to communicate to those disciples is that, man, uh, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Marian Anderson, she was a, a great singer. She once was asked, what was the most memorable moment? What was the most memorable moment of her life? And when she answered, she did not mention the time that she sang before the president. She did not mention the time that she was invited to sing before the king and queen of England. She did not mention when she sang before 76,000 people on Easter morning in Washington, D.C. She said, the most memorable moment of my life was when I came home to my mother and said, Mama, you don't have to take in laundry anymore. That's the most memorable moment of my life. And what she was saying, what she was alluding to, is she was saying that there's something, there's something about home. There, there's something comfortable about it. There, there's something relaxing about it. There, there's something beautiful about it. There's something desirable about it. You know, when you stop and think about heaven, those of us that are saved and those of us that are a child of the king, a lot of us are already there. A lot of me is already there. My name is written there. Is your name written there? My citizenship is there. I got a passport to the kingdom. Just like Jesus tossed the passport to the thief, I, I, I've got a passport in the pocket. And one of these days, I'm going to present it to whoever it is that's at the gates, and I'm going to say, there was a time, there was a place, there was a period when I lived upon this earth that I bowed a knee and acknowledged that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I asked forgiveness of my sin, and all of a sudden I was overcome because the Holy Spirit of God moved in my life, and my life was changed, and I got that passport. I'm going to go in. I'm going to go in. Listen. Not only is my name written there, not only do I have citizenship there, not only is God there, not only is my Savior there, my inheritance there, I got family there. I got family there. Matter of fact, Hebrews tells us that there's a cloud of witnesses that watch over us every day, and I can't explain all the degrees of what that means. 
But I'm telling you what, this home that is described, this place that we talk about called heaven, man, one of these days, I am looking forward to one of these days being in a place called heaven where I'm going to be able to just kind of take off the shoes. I'm going to be able to kind of be laid back. I mean, I'm going to be in a place where we no longer age. Can I get an amen for that? The other day, I was playing pickleball for like the fourth time. And uh, there's some places on my body that hasn't moved a certain way in like several years. And so every time that I have played, there's something that begins to hurt after I play. And uh, for the next two days after playing, there was something on the back of my leg. I was just like walking around like this. And then I had to take something back to the local grocery store. And my wife and my daughter laughed their heads off at me. I didn't get no support. But listen, what I'm saying is, friends, is that I'm just trying to put your mind into the thought of heaven. Because Jesus is saying to his disciples that all the stuff that we make a big deal right now, all the things that we're worried about right now, all the things that we're concerned about right now, all the things that we're facing right now, he's saying that we don't have to have a troubled heart. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be facing issues, but he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. First of all, you got to believe in God and you got to believe that one of these days when we get to heaven, we're going to be in his presence. You got to believe in the promise of God and you got to believe that he is preparing that place. Heaven was always on the mind of God. We've always heard this story, but these two buddies named Bob and Earl, they're some of the biggest baseball fans that had ever lived in America. And their adult lives were just full of everything baseball. And Bob and Earl discussed baseball history in the winter. They poured over every box score during the season. They went to all the games. They even agreed that whoever would die first would try to somehow come back and, and tell the other person if there was baseball in heaven. Not dogs in heaven, but listen, baseball in heaven. So one summer night, Bob passed away in his sleep, and after watching the victory of his team earlier in the evening, he died happy. A few nights later, his buddy Earl woke to the sound of Bob's voice, and Bob's voice was there from the great beyond, and Bob uh, was trying to communicate to his buddy Earl. And Earl said, is that you? And he said, of course it's me, Bob replied. This is unbelievable, Earl exclaimed. So tell me, is there baseball in heaven? Tell me, is there baseball in heaven? Well, he said, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which do you want first? He said, well, hey, tell me, tell me the good news. He said, well, the good news is there's baseball in heaven. So Earl was certainly excited. Then he said, tell me the bad news. He said, well, the bad news is you're pitching tomorrow night. Listen, (laughs) some of y'all get that when you get in the car, okay? Listen, listen. listen, when it comes to heaven, there's really not any bad news or good news. It's awesome news. And that one of these days, we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God, in this promised place that has been prepared for us as a people. And we've often heard that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And I wish today that I could tell you that, that you know, life is easy. And I, I would tell you today as a pastor that, that some, some weeks, some days are so busy. I mean, I, I hang up the phone and somebody's facing cancer. 
And then I'm getting another text from somebody that's being uh, committed into hospice. And then I'm having to say, hey, can you do a funeral? Or can you do this? Or can you do that? And, 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 and most generally, these are ministry needs of people. And I, I'm, I'm going to say these next few moments, not because I'm obligated and not because I'm a pastor. I, I just want to just close out as, as a dying man to dying men and women. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And I want you to know that in this life, you can be wrong about a lot of things. You can be wrong about the person you marry. And you know what? You can get another chance. You, you, you can find somebody else. And it happens. You can be wrong about the job that you take. And you can get another job. You can be wrong about the car that you buy. You can trade that car in. You can get another car. You can be wrong about the real estate that you buy. You can buy a house and buy something else in another neighborhood. You can be wrong about the place that you decide to move to. You can move to Florida and not like it, and you can decide to move back north or whatever you want to do. You can, you can be wrong about a lot of things, but as a dying person to dying men and women, I want you to hear this. You cannot afford to be wrong about heaven. You can't. Heaven's not a place that you hope that you get to or that you wish you get to or that you think that you're going to get to. Heaven is a place that you want to know, but know, but know, but know that you're going to. In other words, as we say it through scripture, if you were to gain the entire world and lose your own soul, what would it profit you? Listen, heaven is prepared for those that are prepared. And listen, in this world, you're brought here as practice and preparation for eternity. And this question is, where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it in heaven, in the presence of Almighty God that has promised you that, or will you spend it in hell, separated from God for all eternity? I was thinking about this on my drive over here, and, and, and sometimes, I, I don't know, maybe, I, I'm not going to mention anybody in particular, but so, so, sometimes I'll look at things, sometimes it's the glass half full. I don't know if there's anybody that does that here, but, but, but sometimes it just happens in my life. I'm able to look at it half, half full, and, and I mean, yeah, half full, half empty. Whatever it is, half empty, not half full. Half full is positive, half empty. See, I got that back. But listen, I want you to know this, that I've come to a place in life that I truly, truly, totally, I'm 100% sold out to it. That there is nothing more important than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, it doesn't matter. The devil occupies us with all kinds of things here on this earth. And he'll get you sidetracked by a lot of things that in the end ain't really going to matter. If you were to go over there and you were to talk to somebody today that's getting ready to spend their last day here upon this earth, I'm going to tell you, I don't think they'd be concerned about some of the things we're concerned about. And what I've learned to do is just trust things over to God. And when we look at John 14 and 1, when he says, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying that our lives ought to be consumed with focusing on eternity. That our lives ought to be consumed with believing in God. And what he's saying to all of us here this morning that has got some sort of troubled heart, I don't believe that this is just a message on heaven. I believe that Jesus was being real life, comforting his disciples with one of the greatest events that was going to ever take place. But it was a very difficult event. If you look at what was happening, he's about to die. But he's trying to tell the disciples, hey, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled even at this. Because I got it. I got it. 
I'm going to go up on that cross. I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to fulfill every promise. And that one of these days, because of what I'm about to do, boys, that one of these days when you die for me and you die in the faith that you are going to be able to be in my presence, and I'm promising you that, and I'm going to go up there and create a home for you, and then it's going to be a place that's going to be prepared only for those that are prepared. And so today, I I don't have any doubt in my mind. I I was praying this morning, and and even between services, I, I know there's people here today that have some business to take care of. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you'll decide to do it or not, but there's some people here that you need to be saved. You don't, you don't know that you know that you know. You, you need to be saved. Now, ain't, ain't Baptists, ain't no Baptists in heaven. Uh, ain't no Catholics in heaven. Ain't no Presbyterians in heaven. You've heard me say all this stuff. The only people in heaven are people that have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So when you get up in heaven, they'll be looking around for all these different people. Look, look, they're not going to be there. The only people that are there are sinners that have confessed their sins to God and Jesus Christ has moved in their life. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you don't, you, you don't know that, then you need to do that. And the only thing that would keep you from doing that would be the devil. The devil's trying to just play that down and make it sound like it ain't important. And I don't have any doubt today that there's, I, I don't even know how many people in here probably need to be biblically baptized. If God gives you the chance to be biblically baptized, you ought to be baptized. You ought to be biblically baptized. You ought to step out and say, hey, I want to be baptized. I want to be identified with Jesus Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. I want to be identified as a Christian before man. Jesus said, if you'll profess him before man, he'll profess you before the Father. But listen, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know who you are today. And I didn't come just to do church. And, and I don't really like the religious thing because I think a lot of people are trapped in religion. That's what keeps some people busting hell wide open all the time because they're trapped in religion. But what I'm trying to present to you is a relationship. And there's, listen, most of you probably know way more than me. As you can tell, today I'm kind of tongue-tied. I'm not that proficient of a speaker. So I've been from Kentucky. Some church people here can't even understand most of the things I say. <laughs> My wife tells me all the time, she says, well, that's not even a word. I said, it's a word to me. <laughs> I can say whatever word I want to say. <laughs> I don't care what Webster said. He probably should have put it in there. He should have come to me. Webster didn't come to me. I, I mean, whatever I say, it's a word. It's a word to me. It may not be a word to you, and it may not be the right pronunciation or whatever it is, but it, it's okay with me, and I ain't worried about any of those things. I've said this before. You know, sometimes you'll get people say, well, he, he said that it was uh, uh, Daniel that come out of the lines. Uh, Daniel come out of lines then. He said it was David that come out of lines. Look, I don't know who come out of lines then. I just know somebody come out of lines then. So, so look, it don't make no difference what gets wrong or what gets right. At the end of the day, all I'm trying to tell you is that somebody needs Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So don't get confused by all the other things, okay? Listen, God, God more than makes that up. I mean, in the Bible, he, he caused a, a donkey to speak. Y'all do know that. So, so even if I get on that level, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, God can still use me. He can still use you. There's still hope for us, okay? All I'm trying to do is encourage you today. But listen, in light of all of that, today if you're here and you need the Lord, I, I would beg you, I'd plead with you, but you know what? The Bible says apart from the Lord calling you out, you can't be saved. So it takes the Spirit of God. Today, if you need to make a decision, you make it. Let's stand this morning.